It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. My guest for this episode is Dylan Rafferty. I ran into Dylan on LinkedIn and uh, quickly discovered that he actually lives just a few minutes away from me, as crazy as that is. And we have some interesting things in our background that are similar. So I thought it'd be great to have Dylan on the podcast and get to know him a little better. Hey, Dylan, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Hey, we've uh, been kind of all around the world to find each other. And as it turns out, you're right near me for crying out loud. That is correct. We live probably like within 10 or 15 miles of each other. Yeah. uh, I'm a proud resident of Plano, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And we both went to high school in Plano, Texas. That's correct. Different schools. And we'll, we'll set our differences aside there for the purposes of this conversation anyway, but kind of crazy how that works. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's amazing how when we connect with people, no matter where uh, what background we come from, the more we get to know each other, before you know it, it, it is truly a small world that we live in. Absolutely. And you're a busy guy, and there's a lot of things I want to talk with you about. Before we get too, too into that, Dylan, I have some kind of wacky questions to ask you to maybe get to know Dylan a little better. So we'll see what we can do. Are you ready for that? Sure. Okay, what's your favorite type of music or band? Ooh, uh, it's tough. But in honor of the the late Tina Turner, um, I really enjoyed her music growing up. Uh, her, my three favorite songs are simply the best. What lo- what's love got to do with it? And um, the other one, Proud Mary. So yeah, yeah well. That uh, you did not know that come that question was coming, and you had the answer immediate. So I'd say that's pretty good. You must be a big fan. Yeah, I am. And I know you're an author, so you're probably a reader. What is the most significant book you've ever read? Ooh, uh, that's a challenge uh, for me. I don't read books often. I think I mainly, I yeah, maybe an author, but I, I think the biggest one for me is. Um, well, it's the newest one that uh, came out last year um, by Sint Marshall uh, called You've Been Chosen. Um, it talks about her life and her experiences, um, but also her time during as an AT&T executive. Uh, and now she's uh, the current CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. So um, I am a big fan. Okay. Now you can have dinner with three people from either the past or current, or maybe I guess even future, who are you inviting to dinner? Well, first, I would love to have dinner with uh, uh, former President Barack Obama. Uh, The second would be um, the celebrity, um, I'm trying to think, sorry, it's, uh, oh, Ellen DeGeneres. And the third would be uh, Mark Cuban. Okay, and what is something that most people don't know about you? They don't, uh, I think the first thing that people get to see me, they don't realize how energetic, fun, 
sometimes goofy attitude. Uh, it gets thrown off a bit. But once you get to know me, you kind of realize that's just me. I'm authentically me just for, you know, being loud and fun and engaging and enthusiastic. Um, I just love people. So I think more and more people, when they first meet me, it's uh, kind of like a in their face. But now it's for some people that have kind of known me, they kind of realize, yeah, this guy is a lot of fun to be around with. All right. Well, I'm glad we got you on the podcast then. Thank you. All right. Well, that's most of the questions there, but I want to get a little bit more into you now. You, uh, This is the Ambiguously Blind podcast, and uh, I am visually impaired. I have no vision in my right eye, and I have uh, partial vision in my left eye. And you are similar in that sense that um, you have some hearing loss that started with you at birth. So I want to know a little bit more about that and kind of the maybe the spectrum of hearing and, and I don't know, you might consider yourself ambiguously deaf. I don't know. We might we might be able to say that, but maybe not. Well, yeah. So uh, you know, John, the the for me, uh it all started with having a birth defect uh when I was born in August twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety, which is a fun fact because right around a month after that's when or a month prior is when the uh Americans with Disabilities Act passed. Yeah, right. Great timing there, huh? Yeah, it's great timing, but it took about two years for it to fully be implemented. Um, but during the first couple months, I was hospitalized. And that hospitalization uh, was due to uh, that birth defect. Um, sometime around that time, I had uh, congenital hearing loss. And because of that hearing loss, um, I was needing uh, two uh, hearing aids, one for my left and one for my right. Um, but, um, throughout that time, that hearing loss, um, has progressed, uh, partly because of my uh, speech impediment early on. Was this a known defect prior to birth or was this discovered after birth? It was discovered after, but before then, doctors misdiagnosed that I would have uh, autism spectrum disorder. Um, I did not have ASD. I was not diagnosed with ASD afterwards, uh, but it was something that they thought might happen. Um, but a birth defect happened at birth, um, uh, but you know uh, that was not something they expected at that time. Uh, they did expect that there might be some disability, but it was misdiagnosed as having autism. But my hearing loss is due to birth defect in the time in the hospital for a couple months. Um, and for the first two years, eating was not uh, something that I did. Um, uh, I remember my grandmother provided um, a baby formula. Uh, my parents sort of, I wouldn't say give up, but they had loss of choice of words. They didn't know what, what next to do because I was not eating. For two years you weren't For two, Almost two years, yeah. The doctors, the, when they came home from the doctor's office, uh, my mother was not happy. Uh, they were worried. Um, so my grandmother from Iran uh, said, you know what, let me try this. So she got a full big pot, a, a silver pan pot, um, 
poured milk in there, uh, smashed some vegetables and warm milk. And her secret ingredient was sugar. And sure enough, I was sucking out of that bottle oh, yes. like it's yeah. no tomorrow. There you go. And so because of that, I am a big sweet person. So <laughs> I love sweets. Well, grandma knows best, right? Exactly. That's true. Grandma knows best. And so long story short is um, there was a lot of things that were happening in my early childhood, including doctor visits, uh, missing school, mostly in my kindergarten years. Uh, and then um, uh, when I was seven, I had a stepidectomy surgery that caused total deafness in the right ear due to uh, ear infection. So now I'm reliant on my left ear uh, with a hearing aid. Wow. Okay. So was the right ear kind of similar to the left ear before that? Yes. Um, the purpose of the septidectomy surgery was to improve hear the hearing loss, uh, meaning strengthen hearing. And mm -hmm. it had to deal with the eardrum. However, doctors did not realize there was an ear infection. And so when that was happening, unfortunately, it became total deaf uh, in the right ear. Uh -huh. So um, because of that, uh, doctors said, let's recommend we do the left ear. And my parents said, absolutely not. So uh, it took a couple of years of transition of dealing with that hearing loss. It was not easy at first. Sure, I bet. Uh, yeah. And so, so, yeah, speech impediment was uh, the difficult part. Uh, I think uh, I had about a year and a half of a great speech therapist uh, during my uh, third grade, I think. Uh, and because of that, I got out of speech therapy. I'm great at lip reading and facial expressions, uh, but I'm not like most people with hearing loss. Um, uh, you know, I can talk to you uh, without even looking at your face. I just be able to block out sounds uh, or just listen to the tone of your voice and to be able to understand what you're interpreting. So um, there is a spectrum of people with hearing loss. Yeah, that's super interesting because, yeah, we uh, are not we don't see each other here. Nope. But there is some software between us. Is it is it transcribing speech to you? Do you have that on? Well, I do not. I don't have it on now, but now I now I have it on and uh well, we'll just uh, see how accurate it, it is. Yeah, it's uh it's good. Pretty good. Okay. Have you found pretty good success with that type of technology? You know, uh it it fluctuates, you know, there are certain uh AI embedded captions or transcriptions are great and some are not. Um, but the challenge between these transcriptions is because they don't add a period. There's no uh, proper grammar uh, in uh, specific sentences. And so it just keeps adding words and words and words without any grammar. Um, and so, you know, that's why it's important to have a live um, card service. So real-time captioning of the person that's typing because then it uh, reflects the person that's talking as well as uh, making uh, correct sentences and how that is interpreted. Hmm. I want to go back just a minute here to the um, eating thing. Was that the first two years of life for you, you weren't eating? Yeah, it was the first couple of years. Uh, so 1990 to about 1991, wow, Those are some real formative years for eating too. I mean, you're 
Yeah. That's, well, I that's was wild. eating, um, I believe I was eating through a tube or by sips, but I was not, I was not eating enough because uh, I was not gaining weight uh, at that age. And I'm supposed to be gaining weight. And unfortunately, due to lack of eating, I'm not, you know, so, uh, you know, doctors were, didn't know what plan to do, but. Um, but grandma but did. Took, but grandmother did, yes. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, deafness is a spectrum, which, um, at least in my experience, that's a lot like sight uh, or vision as well. Kind of what is the, uh, so there's deaf, there's hard of hearing, there may be some other names for those kind of things. Kind of how does that, how does that work with you? So I don't necessarily uh, appropriately communicate deaf culture because deaf culture is uh, different to a lot of people. Um, and so in my eyes, in my description may not be as reflective of everybody else. Uh, there are people that are deaf or profoundly deaf or deaf and hard of hearing like myself. So I'm deaf and I'm hard of hearing with a hearing aid. Um, and so I, I, everybody has different interpretations. Um, some people use the capital D for deaf or some people like me, you did lowercase D for deaf. Um, but it it's but it is important to know that the culture within the deaf and hard of hearing community is vastly different, and it's similar in how other communities treat based on their identity as well. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, deaf and hard of hearing uh, is basically saying one ear is deaf and one ear is hard of hearing. Some people might be profoundly deaf and they, they do have hearing aids, but they don't rely on ASL. Some communities rely on ASL because that's their only form of communication. Uh, some people use a little bit of everything. Um, so I, I just think it's uh, important to be mindful and aware uh, of the differences and that don't assume that one type of communication will work across the board. Do you encourage people to ask questions, at least as it pertains to you? Yes, absolutely. I encourage to ask questions, but also, uh, but when we think about accessibility and anything we do, um, go above and beyond and making sure that accessibility is provided without any uh, uh, requirement to ask people or, mm -hmm. or for people to ask you if there's such accommodation or um, make it where it's there and readily available so that, so an example, adding captions, adding uh, ASL interpreters, you know, all of those different things, um, just having it, have it readily available um, makes it more inclusive, but also it makes it probably adds a sense of ease as well to the whole situation. Yeah. You put it at ease without even um, creating more barriers to it. Yeah. Do you know ASL? I do not. Yeah, I don't know Braille either, so I can relate. And and within the uh, uh, blind and sighted community, uh, you know, some people might have uh, color blindness, or uh, people that might be like you've shared before, one eye and, and or different than the other eye. Mm -hmm. Some people might have um, uh, uh, learning differences, specifically with dys dyslexia, dysgraphia. Uh, this uh, calcula, which is uh, math uh, charts and and words, 
Uh, I mean, there's just so many different uh, disabilities. I think we often forget uh, that not there's not a one size fit all. Is there any outward facing identifier for somebody that is deaf or hard of hearing? Like in the in the visual impaired community, there's the white cane, which would be something that people would usually understand to mean that the person with the cane has a visual impairment of some sort, at least. Is there anything like that? Yeah. So there's roughly about 60 plus awareness events, months, weeks uh, throughout the year. Uh, I think there are more than 60, but I think there's, uh, but from what I know of, there's about 60. Um, the, there is uh, International Deaf uh, Week uh, that is recognized by the United Nations, I believe. Or, yeah, I think it's the United Nations. Um, there's also um, Helen Keller Week, which you are probably familiar with. Uh, with the, uh, that's in the third week of June, I think it's next week. Um, there's uh, there is the uh, International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which is December 3rd, always December 3rd. Um, there are just uh, various ones. I'm trying to remember what others are deaf and hard of hearing but um there's like a week and then there's a theme for that week and then there's each day there's something different pertaining to deaf the deaf and hard of hearing community has you ever interacted with somebody and they were surprised that you were deaf or hard of hearing like they didn't believe oh you? many many times many times um people that are not part of the deaf and hard of hearing community they assume that i have no disabilities at all um and sometimes i have to surprise them uh, then there are communities that I communicate that are completely deaf and they do rely on ASL interpreters. And one of the things that I always do in this setting is when I have an interpreter with me, um, I let the individual know that uh, I am deaf as well, but I don't rely on ASL. And I would let her, uh, the person know that I'm, I sometimes need to look at the interpreter and don't think that I'm not ignoring you or, or, or whatever, but I'm, yeah. I want to be able to see both people. And they are completely aware and understandable in that sense. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all about being communicative and, and uh, in your language and making sure that people know that. And it's okay to let them know because uh, they are generally accepting of that. And you wrote a book, too. I mentioned you're an author. So yes. your book is Occupy Special Education. Children should be seen and heard. That's correct. Uh, that book all came about uh, after graduating high school, and uh, and the focus was on um, first and foremost is providing guidance to uh, families and students with disabilities uh, what that transition looks like, uh, taking accountability and ownership of their educational experience, becoming an advocate, but also the support of having a support system. So specifically your educators, your coaches, your administrators, or even advocates that speak on your behalf, it's important to have that system in place. Um, that book recommendations are because of my experiences. And although my experience was not all the positive, I do make it uh, a highlight and a spotlight on um, how we can make it better for everyone. And um, that was published in spring of 2012. And since then has shaped the direction of 
who I am and become an advocate and a leader for the people I proudly represent. You said that your experience, uh, you were saying like in your education, your earlier education was not that pleasant, had some challenges there. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about the uh, experience in education. You know, I graduated with fifth grade level work and I had to start over in community college. And so I wrote a book about it and said, um, and I and and this book is, is used as the guiding principle for many school districts of um, what they can do to improve the overall experience for students in special education and what they need to do to support the student and not what um, you know not uh, setting the vision for the individual the student needs to set the vision for their academic journey. Mm-hmm. Well, education and volunteering is a lot of things on your resume and bio about that. And yes. one of those was the uh, Texas Governor's Committee for People with Disabilities. Yes. Uh, I uh, proudly served uh, on that committee for about eight years. Um, four of those years as a committee member and then the uh, last four uh, as vice chair. Um, and uh, that vice chair position was elected by my peers on that committee. Um, you know, the time in that experience, uh, when I first joined was in 2015, um, and I'll tell you, uh, I did not know anything about policy or policymaking or establishing external and internal relationships within governmental ent- entities. And I'll just say that because of that experience, I have a greater knowledge and understanding from a policy's perspective. What can I do? Uh, what can we do from a recommendation standpoint of a new law in, this, in the state of Texas? Or what can we do to improve agency role or policy within a specific state agency or something? Or what can we do to inform the greater community and how we can work together and develop uh, work groups or subcommittees and identifying uh, policy recommendations for the state. And the idea behind that is that the committee would uh, submit a, uh, a report during every legislative session. And in that legislative session, legislators in our state would actually see the recommendations and they might formulate their own or similar recommendations that we put out. And so um, we act as an appointed official, but we cannot act uh, as an appointed official before legislators, like doing lobbying efforts. We can, however, do it as a private citizen, but we cannot do it in a a appointed official capacity. So there is, the committee was a great experience and I felt that during my eight years of service, I think I've done a tremendous job. We've done great things. Uh, and we've established a report from the community um, and we've touched new areas and so forth. So I still stay in touch with the committee. I'm very well connected with every committee member. Um, but now I'm moved on and um, soon after leaving, I joined as the Board of Directors for Disability Rights Texas and the board of uh, the founding board member for Mentor Texas, which is a mentoring, youth mentoring uh, program for the state of Texas, not just people with disabilities, but for every 
community that represents uh, Texas youth. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of in the education realm also, I guess, in yep. the mentor capacity. So yeah, that makes a lot yes. of sense. You're also in the area that we're in, which is North Texas. You've got the North Texas Disability Chamber that you're the founder of, right? Yes. So what do you do there? So the chamber is, um, there. just so you know, fun facts. So there are four disability chambers in Texas, and there are total of two in, um, you know, uh, two outside of the Texas. So there's six total in America. And four of them are in Texas? Four of them are in Texas. All right. See, we know what's going on in Texas. What, where, where are the others in Texas? Roughly? The others are in South Florida and the state of Colorado. And so of the six, um, one of them is an actual chamber of commerce. The rest, including ours, is a nonprofit 501c3. The one that is an actual chamber of commerce is the Texas Deaf Chamber of Commerce out of Austin, Texas. And that is founded by my friend Jason Shaw, who is a deaf entrepreneur who uh, runs a business around uh, energy saving, um, uh, you know, solar panels, those kind of things. So electricity, those kind of things. Um, but our chamber specifically is the only one of this kind in the country that is an operative 501c3 that is called a chamber at North Texas Disability Chamber, but we're solely focused on community education. So that is housing, healthcare, transportation, workforce, veterans, public safety, uh, mental health, anything that affects the quality of life. We're focused on educating the greater community, not just people with disabilities, around the issues that affect people with disabilities and through their daily life, um, whether it's, you know, uh, housing or healthcare or transportation. We try to educate the greater community how to be a better ally and advocate for disability programs and services serving people with disabilities. I think here locally, you have some awards that you give. Is it annually? Yes. Um, so our upcoming awards is uh, recognizing uh, three honorees. Um, and each honoree is named after that individual. Um, so last year, we started with the awards with the Rick Reddy Public Service Award. He is a former council member for the city of Plano. And this year, we're honoring uh, Mayor George Fuller of McKinney. Um, and then this year, we're also adding two new um, awards that is going to be namesake and honored of the individual that we're honoring this year. And that is the Sid Marshall uh, Catalyst for Inclusion Award, which is a um, recognizing a DEI executive. And then the Merrill Evans Self-Advocacy Award is going to um, a person with disabilities uh, for their ad self-advocacy efforts. And Merrill Evans is uh, part of the deaf uh, community as well. Now, you mentioned some other people, some previous honorees. What what do those people have in common? Why were they being honored? What what did they do to? Um, so the the namesake honorees. So we're having two namesake this year, and then uh, one previously. Um, last year, we honored Rick Grady because of his. Uh, diligence and strong advocacy efforts to support communities of people with disabilities 
through their role as a public official, uh, a public elected official. And um, there's work that we've done behind the scenes and where he has been a staunch supporter in this effort. And while, although there was not a lot of activity because, you know, it, it, it takes more than one elected official to really put a stamp on it. Um, but he was, he never gave up and he was persistent. And so because of his honor, we're also encouraging other elected leaders when they get this kind of recognition is that they have also have done tremendous advocacy works, not only in their uh, volunteer leadership roles, but also into their elected capacities. And so the reason we're honoring George Fuller, uh, among many things he does in our charitable community efforts in the city of McKinney, but also supporting when things get rough and tough, um, especially during the pandemic. I remember as a citizen in a different city, looking from afar, that a mayor of McKinney would put the citizens over anything else. And that is specifically those that were immunocompromised and made sure that they prioritized the health and safety of every individual. Although it may not be in a popular opinion, but it was a decision that he thought was best is to protect and care for the health and safety of every resident, including our seniors and those with disabilities. And so um, that um, that single act alone um, really showed leadership, inclusivity, and most importantly, standing firm on what's right, even though many people may not agree to it. Mm-hmm. So that is why we're honoring leaders because of is symbolic of the person that is that is being named after. So for like the Catalyst for Inclusion Award with Sint Marshall, we're we're recognizing because she set the standard for what diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility looks like within a professional sports team like the Dallas Mavericks and set the face of direction for the NBA, which is the National Basketball Association. Whereas Meryl Evans, she's an accessibility leader. She speaks uh, and advocates and uh, educates the greater community, not just in the disability community, about accessibility, but also talks from personal experiences. And so for future leaders, with uh, self-advocates, we want to make sure that they're meeting the standard like. Meryl Evans does in her self-advocacy efforts. Um, and every person's self-advocacy efforts is different, but we want to make sure to highlight the ones that are symbolically making a huge difference, not only to themselves, to their peers, but to the greater community. Yeah. I'm aware of Meryl Evans through uh, LinkedIn. Again, just through the worldwide web, I'm aware of her, but she's also in the area too, kind of crazily. Yes, she she lives about seven minutes from me. Yeah, she uh, she does have a pretty big influence on uh, at least on on LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of stuff that she that she does. Sounds pretty incredible. Yeah. Yes, it does. Okay, and so you're still not done though. You've still got a couple other things that you're working on here. So there's Dylan Listed, which I think is uh, some consulting you do. 
Yes. Uh, so Dylan Listed started in 2012. Uh, the business was focusing on employment and transition for youth and adults with disabilities and our disabled veterans uh, across the United States. And so we wanted to create a career site, which we did. Uh, but then we realized that uh, getting buy-in support around it was tough. So we had to close it. And today is now focused on consulting. So we do a lot of educational development, speaking engagements through this company, but we also do consulting for one-on-ones with individuals with disabilities, specifically adults with disabilities, um, and providing them transitional guidance. And it is up to them to determine what result that they want to have. Um, we notice in the world of services around disabilities, people expect that they are given to them, but in this kind of model that we have is 50-50. So they need to do their fair share like while we're doing our fair share to support them. But it's really up to the individual. And so uh, the business is, uh, is literally less than 5% of the time that I do. And I only take cases on a case-by-case scenario. Um, but it is still relevant today because it is the guiding principle of uh, what I do and, and my passion and my niche is around workforce uh, development and DEI and accessibility. Well, I know something else is going to take up some more of your time that you have allotted to each day and kind of wrap up back with the education scheme here. I just saw that you're going to be starting a, a PhD program at uh, USC coming up here pretty soon. Yes, in August, I've been uh, proudly accepted to the University of Southern California with the Rothier uh, School of Education for their Doctor of Education program on organizational change and leadership. And the focus around that is creating systemic changes within organizations and communities and, and focusing on educational equity um, in communities where they lack support. And so um, you know, my journey uh, in education was not easy, but uh, it proved uh, different to those that thought otherwise differently. And now I'm excited to pursue a program that is going to be passionate, it's going to be driven, and it's going to allow me to create policies and systemic change in communities and organizations. Um, while serving the communities that I proudly support. And those communities include people with disabilities. Well, Dylan, you're, as I said, you're a busy guy. I appreciate you stopping by and spending a few minutes with us here. Absolutely. Thank you again for the opportunity. The best place to find you out there is, is it DylanRafferty.com? That's correct. DylanRafferty.com would be a best way to connect. And you can always send me a message there. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.